0: You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's very good to see all of you here. It's very good to be here and to just be together. Whether you're joining us physically or whether you're joining us online, we know that we are all together together in spirit and that's something to be thankful and grateful for and so i'm glad to be here my question for you guys this morning i want to ask can you raise your hand nod your head um do you like coffee yeah some of you guys some very exaggerated hand raises and everything some people you can tell by how much people like coffee depending on um but maybe uh maybe you like coffee or maybe you just need coffee i very much understand that one too um Maybe you're more of a tea person or soda. Um, and maybe you just drink water, which means that you have your life a lot more put together than I do. I can tell you that. Um, but if you spent more than about five minutes talking to me, you would know that I absolutely love coffee. I really do. Um, I enjoy coffee a lot. And what's great about coffee is that you can drink. There are so many different ways to drink coffee. You can You can have it stronger or not as... Is not as much you can have it with a lot of caffeine or you can actually get it without caffeine if you just like the taste you can put in milk cream sugar syrups all these different things you can put in a coffee it makes it very versatile and fantastic honestly coffee is really good and the best part is you can do all these things you can have it really hot or you can have it ice cold Which a lot of people like to drink, you know, hot coffee in the wintertime when it's cold. And then when spring and summer switch over, you drink iced coffee because it's nice and refreshing, right? Um, I have the privilege that I drink iced coffee year-round. No matter what, it'll be 30 degrees outside. And I still really like iced coffee because it's just really good. So this morning, I went and I got coffee at Starbucks like I do on most days. Um, I couldn't really decide which one to get, so I just got both. But unfortunately for me, as I didn't finish either one of them, uh, I got this coffee. This coffee was nice and hot and ready to go at 7 a.m. It's about four and a half hours later. And it's not nearly as good now as it was when I got it. And same goes for... This little cup, it was nice. It was full of ice. It was cold and refreshing when I took my first couple sips. But now there is an absence of any ice whatsoever. And it kind of just tastes like bean water with some milk in it. Which I can, if it, in, about six months ago, I would have offered to share some of this with y'all. And so you could all try it out and see how it tasted. Um, but at this point, you're just going to have to take my word for it. It's not that good. I really like coffee, but I don't really like that coffee. That's not how I prefer to drink my coffee at room temperature. That's not how it's supposed to be drank. You can have one or the other. You can have really hot or really cold, but that is just kind of garbage. Um, overpriced garbage at that. Um, not the best, that's how I would describe it. It's digestible, I can drink it, I can't, you know, it's not not gonna throw up or anything from it, but it's not great. It's just kinda eh in the middle, not ideal. Unfortunately, I don't think that they had Dunkin' iced coffee or Dutch Bros iced coffee, which is very good. Um, I don't think that they had any of that in the first century which is what we're going to be talking about today, the time period that we're going to be talking about in the scripture that we find. Um, Unfortunately for them, they didn't have any good coffee to drink. Um, But our passage today comes from the book of Revelation, what we're going to talk about. And this, this book is a very interesting part of scripture that we find. It's been used and talked about in a lot of different ways. Throughout the history of the church, a lot of speculation has been made, a lot of interpretations have been made, and people have taken plenty of liberties trying to explain what this book means. But at the very root, at the very base, we know that this text was written to seven physical congregations in Asia during the first century. It was written to these churches, and it was written during a time period where being a Christian was not an easy thing to do. Saying you're a Christian or worshiping God was not easy to do. On top of figuring out how to follow Jesus, being one of the first generations of Christians to actually figure out what it meant to live by the words of Jesus, who had died a few decades before and was resurrected. That's where the church... That's where these seven churches, they were sitting there. And so what this text is, is this text is a way of encouraging and giving hope to these churches who weren't in the best place, honestly. The church was actively undergoing persecution from the Roman Empire, was actively looking at ways to how they could worship God and how they could serve other people while also under the constant threat and watch of the Roman Empire who wasn't too fond of Christians, to say the least. It was written to these people to try and encourage them and give them hope in this time. Encourage them and give them hope to try and resist temptation. And some of those temptations were bowing down to Caesar, the emperor, saying that he was the son of God and that he should be worshipped above anything else. That was one temptation they had. Another one was following along with the Roman religious cult who was actively trying to push people towards this mindset, saying, hey, Caesar's the son of God, so you better say that he is. Trying to resist the temptation of falling into the lifestyle and the mindset of the Roman Empire, which was do what we say to do or die. Trying to control... More and more of the world. So this is the society, this is the culture that the Christians are in. So this text is written as encouragement to them and to give them hope in very, very bleak circumstances. So what were they doing? What did they do? How did they, how did they deal with this thing, with these things? Because their choice was very, very simple. They had two options. First one was that they could say that Caesar was the son of God. that could bow down before the Roman Empire. They could get on board with all of that. That was easy. Or they could say, no, no, no. Jesus is the son of God. We're going to follow these ways. We're going to do what he instructed us to do. And you could choose that. But if you chose that and announced it publicly, that meant that you died. There was no gray area, there were no exemptions, there was no wiggle room. Those were your two options. Bow down to Caesar or die. To bow down to Jesus meant that you died. So the beginning of this text gives us kind of a short message to these seven different churches. Some of them were, there was a church in Ephesus, in Smyrna, in Pergamum. Uh, there was even a church in Philadelphia, but not the Philadelphia that we know. Um, And throughout all these seven churches, there's some some churches get praise for the things that they were doing. Some churches were rebuked for the things that they were doing. And some churches got warnings saying, hey, make sure that you don't fall into some of these temptations. And the messages are a little bit varied. um, But meant to give encouragement and hope and something for them to hold on to. Because they knew that their hope in Jesus was a lot more substantial and a lot more worthwhile than the hope in anything that the world had to offer. So, we turn to Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22, and hear these words to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. So, for a text that's supposed to be hopeful and encouraging and really trying to help people, why does Laodicea get this? Because I don't know about you guys, but that does not sound very hopeful, helpful, or encouraging. That doesn't sound like a pat on the back and a go get em. It sounds pretty harsh. And so one of the things I think about when I read this and when I look at it is why in the world, because some of these other churches get this good job. Hey, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a good job. You're holding the faith. You're doing all these things you need to do. But Laodicea looks like they have some work to do. Why? Well, because they faced a different culture and a different lifestyle than these other six churches were facing that were written to. These other six churches were being beat down, were being oppressed, were being held down by the Roman Empire and the Roman government saying, you better be careful about what you say and about what you do. And so they had to come up with very creative ways to minister to people and to love people. They had to be secretive. They had to be very careful and covert about the things that they were doing because they weren't scared of dying, but they still wanted to go out and help people. They still wanted to serve people and still wanted to love people. They still wanted to go out and find groups of people who were hurting, who were oppressed, who were victims of injustice from the Roman Empire. They wanted to find these people and help them because they needed it. The church was trying to find people who were hurting and give them help in any way that they could. And so they had to be careful about how they did some of these things. That goes for the other six churches. Laodicea was a little bit different because Laodicea sat at a very interesting place in Asia. Laodicea was one of the wealthiest, most prosperous put together cities that existed during this time. Especially in the Roman Empire, which was a big, very powerful empire. This was a big, very powerful city where people would go. It was kind of the it was the commercial hub of the Roman Empire is where people went to trade goods, is where people went to find the latest fashions, it's where people went to find really good doctors and just really high, really powerful, notable people. This is where people went. If you lived here, you probably had a lot of money, a lot of power, or a combination of both. You were someone if you lived in Laodicea. And people would come from all over to visit Laodicea. It was the center of trade routes. It was the center of waterways where uh, goods from other countries and places would come in and they would get to see all these different things. It was just a cultural, I mean, just a great place to be, honestly. Full of life, full of entertainment, full of all really cool things, honestly. And so life in Laodicea was a lot different than life in some of these other places, even for Christians. Because to live in Laodicea meant that you were powerful, wealthy, notable. And so the Christians here were some of those things. These were probably some of the most powerful Christians that existed during this time period where people lived in such a beautiful and lavish place. So, the struggles they were facing were a little bit different than the struggles that some of these other places were facing. Because in Laodicea, they could worship in public and they could meet together and they could pray and they could take communion, and they could sing songs, but that was about all they did. Well, these other Christians in places were looking for people to help, looking for ways to minister, looking for ways to speak out about the Roman Empire and the Roman government and the atrocities and injustices that they were committing. But yeah, the it wasn't too concerned with that. They weren't too concerned with what they could do to help other people. They were very concerned with what they could do to help themselves. And so we look at these words that are written to them and say, makes a little bit more sense why they get the harsh treatment. They weren't facing so much physical problems like other Christians were. They were facing spiritual problems. They were facing the challenge to commit and to be wholeheartedly invested in God and following Jesus. Trying to figure this out. because for them, their lifestyle was pretty good. They were comfortable, they had money, they had all the things that they needed, and so they were focused on all of that, right? And it's understandable that this was the case, right? When things are going good for us, we want things to keep going good, right? We wanna stay, when things are all sunshine and rainbows and happy, we wanna stay fixated on that, right? We want to be comfortable, we want to be, we want to be happy, we want to be prosperous, and so we focus on those things when we have those things, but then it becomes very easy to ignore all of the injustices, all the atrocities, and all the bad things that are going on in the world. It becomes very easy to focus on the good things and ignore the problems that everybody else is having, because we are not actively affected by them at that point in time. It's really easy to be comfortable in that sense. And these Christians in Laodicea were comfortable in that sense, fixating on what they had, fixated on helping themselves, and not so much about other people. So this message here is encouraging them to start caring. Start caring about other people. Start helping other people using their power and their wealth and their status to help people who are not... at as privileged as they were. That is the message to Laodicea here. You have it pretty good and you can do some really good things because of that but you were ignoring it and you were refusing to care and refusing to help people who do not have it as good as you do. That's the message to Laodicea. And I always get caught up here with the phrasing because unfortunately I don't think there's any archaeological evidence of ancient Starbucks or anything like that. And so I really don't think they would have gotten my coffee reference very well, um, which kind of just sucks for them that they didn't have coffee like that. Um, but this idea of being lukewarm, how did, how did they get there? Why is this the phrasing? Why is this the choice word to call them out on? Well, Laodicea, for all the luxuries that enjoyed, for all the things that it had, what it, one of the things it didn't have, and this is something they were actually very famous for, too. One of the things that they didn't have was hot water heaters, right? We get to enjoy hot water heaters. We get, you know, straight from there to our houses. You know, maybe it has to travel, you know, maybe up or down, like a story or like across the house or something. But we have hot water heaters, and those are really nice, right? You take a hot shower in the morning. You get to clean your dishes with hot water. You get to wash your clothes in hot water. You get to wash your. I mean, it's just, it's very convenient, right? To be able to turn a knob and it's, boom, hot water. Which is really nice. Laodicea didn't enjoy that, unfortunately. Because their nearest hot spring was actually five miles away up on a hill. And so their water had to travel a little bit. And being the wealthy side, they they said, okay, we can figure out a system for this. And so they built this very vast and kind of intricate aqueduct system to bring the water from the hot spring all the way down to the city. But they were technologically limited for their time. And water traveling five miles, that's a long way to travel for this water. When it comes out of the hot spring, it's hot and it's fresh and it's ready to go and it's good, you know, and everything. But by the time that it travels outside for five miles rolling down this pipeline, by the time it gets to your house, it is not as hot and fresh as you would like it to be. It would make doing dishes and taking a shower not as enjoyable as we know it to be. But the worst part is that it wasn't even that it wasn't hot when it got there. It's that when it's traveling, you know, you get dirt in the water, you get bugs in the water, you get all this stuff. It's not necessarily super clean, but it's also not that cold if it's traveling. You know, you want water to be either really hot or you want it to be like cold and refreshing to where you can use it for things, to where you can drink it and do this stuff. But it wasn't that either. It had been outside and kind of stagnated a little bit by the time that it got there. And so it was just kind of like... Eh. It wasn't hot, and it wasn't cold. It was lukewarm. It was essentially useless. And so the people in Laodicea knew this, knew this terminology, and knew this. And so for them to hear, they knew all about the frustrations of not having hot water, of not having fresh water. They knew the frustration and had contempt for what it meant to be lukewarm. And this is what their spirituality is called. This is what their church is called. It said, you are a lukewarm church. You are, a lu- you are lukewarm believers. You are disgusting. You are gross. And essentially, you are useless. You think that had to sting a little bit? Because I do. To be useless. Not good for anything. Seems like it might have hurt a little bit. And that was probably the point. is that you are useless and gross, indigestible, and not good for anything. That's what they're being told about their faith, about the way that they meet together as a church and about the things they do. The things that you are doing are useless. And unfortunately, this hits a little too close to home sometimes because If we're not if we're not supposed to be lukewarm then what should we be? And the way I've thought about this the way I've thought is that if we look at this from like a bottom up scale, right picture with me here, at the very bottom would be cold water. This one is just it's cold it's and so essentially in terms of faith, this is the the total absence of faith. the total you know there's no involvement, no anything, no awareness, anything. it's just boom, not even. Not even a conversation, not anything. And so that's cold. It's just non-existent, essentially. Moving up, lukewarm is choosing to, hey, you know, we'll meet together, we'll pray together, and we'll sing these songs that make us, that sound really good, you know, it's fun. But things just kind of stop there. There's no follow-up, there's no, you're only about halfway bought in. You like some of these things, but eh, not all of them. This whole idea of giving up all your money, your wealth, your possessions, and totally following Jesus was not nearly as attractive to these people. They said, you know, I like my things. I like my lifestyle. I like my power. I like my notoriety. Not don't know if I want to give that up, but I'm going to come to church on whatever day and sing songs and feel good for a little while. So that's about where lukewarm is. And I like to think that the ideal would be to be hot, right? Just like the hot spring. If you want hot water, you want it fresh right from the hot spring. You want it the warm you want it to be, you know, that ideal fresh, hot and good. And so in terms of our spirituality, in terms of how we're thinking about things, in terms of how we're following Jesus, this means that you are totally and utterly invested. This means that you are totally committed. This means that you are on fire for God essentially. Hot fire, get it? It works well. But not just this idea of running around, screaming at people, you know, always in your face. It's not, it's not just about that. It's not about always yelling and being excited, and I'm telling myself that more than anything right now. But, but this idea of continuing to invest, continuing to commit, continue to look to how you can serve and love other people, continuing to grow, continuing to reflect, it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a checklist that you do it once and it's good to go and you don't have to think about it anymore. To be hot and to be at the top of this scale means that you pick up your cross daily and everything that you do is a reflection of Jesus living in your heart. Everything. Words, actions, lifestyle, a complete and holistic approach to what it meant to follow Jesus. Not just listen to Jesus, Not just know Jesus, but to follow Jesus. is what Laodicea is being urged to do. That's at the top of our scale. That's our hot water geyser up at the top. And that's how I like my coffee, to be hot and ideal. Because these people were struggling with this. And as Christians living in the 21st century, especially in America, it is very easy to fall into this comfortable lifestyle. It's easy to be relaxed and content. It's easy to look at all the things that we have and think about all this, you know, all this comfort and all this luxury. And it's easy to focus on that and completely ignore all of the injustices and all of the atrocities and all the groups of people who are actively being harmed and hurt it's easy to turn from that and say, well, not my problem. That's an easy thing to do and that's a comfortable thing to do. But just as Laodicea is being urged to care, we are also urged to care, to invest, to commit, not just to hearing about Jesus, but to following Jesus. We need to commit And we need to have passion for the way that we follow God. And the reality is that all of this work, investment, all of this service and all the people that we help, all of that will take place outside of these four walls. That's the way that it should be. Because Jesus didn't just stand up on a stage. Jesus didn't just show up to a building every Sunday. Jesus went out and served, loved, loved, and cared for people on roads, in houses, in the sea, all sorts of different places. And if we claim that we follow Jesus, that will be reflected in our actions, our words. And the ways that we serve people looking to actively bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. So that's what we're urged to do. That's what we're challenged to do. That's what the Methodist of Laodicea continues to challenge us to do. Because as we look at this example, as we look at this church in this place, we look at a church and we find one that is struggling to find passion struggling to find zeal, and struggling to speak up for what they believed in. These people had power. These people had wealth. These people had something to lose, and they enjoyed the comforts of that. But meanwhile, their brothers and sisters were either just being actively ignored by normal Roman citizens, the Roman citizens either ignored the Christians or they actively worked and rooted against them, actively persecuting them because they were making things harder. They were making things more difficult. They were stirring the pot. They were trying to change things. They were trying to change the things that the Roman Empire stood for. Roman Empire didn't like that. Citizens didn't like that too much either because that was making life a little bit harder for them as well. They liked their comfort. They liked the way that things were. But as verse 17 shows us in this church in Laodicea, they thought that they had everything that they needed. They thought their wealth and their status and their power was the only things that they needed to live a successful and prosperous life. And by normal standards, you'd probably be right. But we're not using normal standards here. Revelation isn't using normal standards. Revelation is using God's standards for what it meant to live a prosperous and successful life. And that life means to turn away from all of these possessions, all these materials, and look to who can I help? Who can I serve? Who can I love? Who can I invest in? Who can I help with my life besides myself? Just lay out of They had, they, they said they were Christians. They had a church. They had a, a congregation. They said they were Christians, but what they lacked was the moral fortitude to actually follow up with what they said they believed in. It's one thing to say you believe in something, it's another thing for your actions to show that you believe in something. So two very different things. So as we look at this, we are encouraged to think about things in a new light. We are urged to turn from apathy and fear and turn towards Jesus and follow him wholeheartedly in words and actions every single day. Because this world needs us to care. The world does not need any more apathy or indifference or injustice or oppression. It needs people who are willing to show love and shed light in the darkest places to every group of people. The world needs more of that and the church needs more of that. To actively bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Laodicea was encouraged to do this. Laodicea was encouraged to care. This was written 2,000 years ago when they were encouraged that and challenged to do that. The church now is encouraged to do the same exact thing. This hasn't changed in 2,000 years. This challenge and this message hasn't changed because we today here are still challenged to do the same thing. To love and to care about people. And I hope that we can do that. I hope that we can continue doing that. I hope that we can go out and work to build the kingdom of heaven together. Because that should be our goal. Our goal shouldn't be just to serve ourselves and figure out what we can get, but our goal should be to look out for other people, go help people, and actively love all people. To love God, to worship God with our hearts, minds, bodies, and soul. And to love, love our neighbors as ourselves. To actively go out and show people what it means to love. Because to go out and love means to go and take action. and means to go and do things. To be active in that process. To look at everyone who is created in the image of God and look to help them and look look to stand up for them and look to bring more love into this world. And I really hope that we can continue doing these things together because I am incredibly thankful and grateful to be here in Albuquerque with all of you. I'm thrilled, very excited about this. But this is going to take work. And this is going to take us working together to do this. This wasn't, this message wasn't written to one person. This was written to an entire congregation and it has been written to Christians ever since then to be able to go out and do this, to care, to show love, to help, and to be with people. So that's our challenge. I hope that we can continue working towards it together. So I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful for all of you. We all bow your heads with me and pray? God, we're thankful for this day, and we're thankful for you. We pray that our lives may be a living reflection of your Son. To not just hear these words, but to go out and actively do something about it, to go out and actively follow in the footsteps of Jesus. God, that's our goal. We want to bring your ideals here. We want to serve you in every way that we can, serve your people every way that we can. God, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for what we can do. We're thankful that we can meet here together. We're thankful that we can work together to serve you and your people. God, we're thankful for you, for everything that you do for us day in and day out. And it is in your son's holy name that we pray all of these things. Amen.